welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. I'm Sarah Morris, and on today's episode, I talk to three senior enlisted members of the Washington Army National Guard. Uh, we're going to talk to Command Sergeant Major Bruce Ecclestone, the senior enlisted leader, Command Sergeant Major Brant Givens, the Command Sergeant Major of three of the 161 Infantry, and First Sergeant Brandy Potter from the 96th Aviation Troop Command. We talked to them about how they've been able to uh, navigate their careers as enlisted members of the Washington Army National Guard and things they wish they would have known and what they would like to have told their younger selves. Enjoy. Bigfoot country is earthquake country. If an earthquake were to happen right now, what would you do? When you feel the ground shaking, drop, cover, and hold on. Do not run or you may be injured by things falling. Remember, if you are near the ocean, the ground shaking is your warning that a tsunami may be coming. After the shaking stops, move to high ground and stay there. Make sure to listen to local emergency officials. Have enough supplies to be self-sufficient for two weeks after a disaster. For more information about earthquakes in Washington, visit mill.wa.gov slash preparedness. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's W-A National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. Okay, so today we are sitting down with some sergeants major and a first sergeant, and we're going to talk about sort of how to be a successful NCO in the Washington National Guard and in life, I guess. Um, so let's introduce ourselves. I'm Command Sergeant Major Gibbons. I'm Command Sergeant Major 3rd Battalion, 161st Infantry. Uh, currently, I was put in last month. Um, and I started the guard in 2002. Okay. First Sergeant Brandy Potter from 96 Aviation. I started the guard in 1998. Okay. Command Sergeant Major Bruce Ecclestone. I'm the senior enlisted advisor for the Washington Military Department, and I joined the guard in 1992. Awesome. Joe's here too. I'm here too, everyone. <laughs> Great. Okay. So let's start with. Um, what made you enlist in the Army? So I enlisted in active duty in 1999. Um, I kind of, at that time, was trying to figure out how to pay for college and some other things and decided to join into the, uh, the active components. Uh, I spent about three years in the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, when I got done, I realized that being on active duty and trying to accomplish college at the same time was not really going to work. So I left active duty to start looking more into my uh, civilian college um, and getting my degree. And September 11th kicked off and I found myself wanting to get back into the military. And so I enlisted back into the National Guard in 2002 so I could maintain my current desire to get my degree. And then um, also 
continue to give back. Um, I had an appointment with active duty in uh, September of 99 over to Kosovo, which kind of changed my view on life, on, on life a little bit. Uh, gave me a little bit more to be thankful for, I guess, when I got home. So when things did kick off, uh, I did have a desire to try to give back and take care of some things that I felt were important. Great. First Sergeant? What made you enlist in the Army? I came into the military because it was an escape route from a horrible life. I mean, that's that's a big reason for a lot of people. Do you want to give like a brief history of your life in the Army? So I came in as an HR. <clears throat> um, I began my career at 541st Detachment. We used to do the SRPs over at Waller Hall. I really enjoyed it. From there, I became an AGR and continued throughout my service. I stayed completely in the HR realm and um, was able to progress into a first sergeant position when the opportunity presented itself. So you've been Washington Guard the entire time? Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Sergeant Major. So I joined the Army in 1987, fresh out of high school as a 17-year-old kid who needed some structure. Um, I was uh, probably would be categorized as something other than a good child. <laughs> um, and the structure was really good for me. Um, being in, in the Army, it's somewhat of a tradition in service, is a tradition in my family. Um, I spent my first two and a half years at Fort Knox, Kentucky, and then did the following two and a half years-ish in Germany, which was a fantastic experience. Uh, deployed for the first Gulf War. Um, upon return from the first Gulf War, um, the Army wanted me to go to Korea, and I had a kind of a different personal plan. I wanted to go to college. Um, so I got out of the Army, and um, I was actually sitting by a pool talking to an old gentleman in the Tri-Cities in the fall of 1991, who happened to be, at the time, the 81st Brigade Commander. And he encouraged, probably is the right word, um, <laughs> me to join the National Guard. Um, we talked a lot about the federal technician opportunities that were nested very well with my skill set from active, um, active Army. I was an M1 tank mechanic, and the state was just getting M1 tanks at that time. Um, so I joined the Guard in the spring of 1992, and I became a full-time federal employee um, in July of 1992. Okay. And I have been here ever since. Ever since. Do you want to know how old I was when you joined the Army? No, we shouldn't talk sure. about that. <laughs> I suspect fairly young. I think I was like one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I guess I'm interested, since we're going to sort of do this, how to be a successful NCO is maybe like what NCO... You don't have to mention them by name, but like what characteristics that you've seen throughout your career that you've definitely taken in, put in your own pocket as something you want to emulate? There's actually, a, so I've had good and bad experiences, right? We, Everybody we has. Have, <laughs> I've had good and bad experiences. I've had a, a lot of things that I've taken some from, from very good NCOs in the uh, realm of troop care and um, making sure that. Uh, you take care of the welfare of the soldiers. <clears throat> Two very poor, poor examples, which I put in my, you know, toolbox to. Hey, I'm never going to do this. But I think one of the 
the biggest lessons learned early on that that's helped uh, make me successful was just a conversation that I had with someone back in the day that regarded always being prepared for opportunity because opportunity comes on its own time and doesn't come on yours. So if you are, I guess the, the easiest way to say it is don't let an opportunity be missed because it's something that you could have done. Right. Always make sure that you're prepared for it because when it does come, then you can accept it if that's the case, you know. One of my heroes is Sergeant Major Clark. She taught me what it was to be like to be respected and how to um, conduct myself properly in front of others, individuals. I have a history of being more childlike, um, but I've learned a lot and been able to progress. I've also had other great leaders who have taught me certain ways to develop my subordinates through proper counseling and really work on clear communication which also spills over into the family life so if you can be a good authoritative parent it can spill over into being a good NCO yes because sometimes they're like your kids yeah yeah <laughs> oftentimes, oftentimes. <laughs> uh so I'd, I'd just echo that you as you grow as a leader or as a person you you learn from those leaders that you're exposed to over time and you capture the to-dos and the not-to-dos. Um, one of my greatest experiences as it relates to a to-do was a battalion sergeant major who I, who I admired in Germany um, had an uh, uh, interesting approach to dealing with people. So the story basically is I'm leaving the motor pool to try to get to evening chow before the chow hour closes and I didn't take the time to change out of my, my boots that I wore in the shop. And I passed by his office, and he was coming out of his office at the same time. And we had an interesting conversation about boots. And, and I tried to explain that to the sergeant major that, sergeant major, these are my other boots. And he said, I don't remember reading anything in any regulation that referenced other boots. And I said, sergeant major, these are my shop boots. Still, son, no such thing as he put his arm around me. Put him, rested his arm on my shoulder and, and had a conversation that helped me understand that there was no such thing as something that was less than standard. Right. Um, great conversation, great approach. Uh, and I would say as you progress in leadership positions, leadership style has to change. Situations require a particular style. I use this example. If you're a, an E5 squad leader and you are on a hand grenade range, a direct leadership style is appropriate if things are going awry. When you are in garrison or in an armory or in some situation other than that, an aggressive leadership style can take a subordinate and turn them away from you. So picking and choosing the right leadership style in the right circumstance is you hit a home run that way. Or or you don't. So, so um, I, uh, even though I was an officer now, um, I started out enlisted in 2002, and I can name every NCO along the path of me going from E1 to now O4, and looking at you know potentially someday becoming a lieutenant colonel and a battalion command. There was always an NCO though that was there that would basically do exactly that. They'd put their armor on my shoulder, and either say, "Listen, private. Listen, specialist." Or, sir, lieutenant, captain, 
even calling me by my my rank now major and saying this is why we do it this way who are those people in your careers that you really i mean we've kind of already talked that piece a little bit but is there that one person i mean, know oh, you mentioned star major clark and we can always name for me that first one uh gonna give him a shout out uh will will borrego now master Sergeant borrego he was my first squad leader when i first came in um me and now chief archuleta both worked for him as specialists it was fantastic and then uh sergeant major todd anderson after him um my first uh nco um that really kind of changed my life sergeant major uh larry whitinger now at the 341st and then uh when i became an officer it was uh a number of ncos uh then sergeant first class tim ludwig uh sergeant elliot urena and then uh throughout time became now Master Sergeant Chaplin, um, First Sergeant Potter. Um, really, as a young captain, you guys kind of groomed me to say, sir, it's about the soldiers. It's not about you, you know, your career. It's about making sure you take care of all these guys. And it really kind of sticks with you as an officer when you got good NCOs. Um, so who are those people? And then what are those kind of, what do you tell your folks below you, know, you to kind of groom them to think that way? I had to look back. There's, there's quite a few people. Um, to name one, uh, First Sergeant Eric Johnson. <clears throat> when we got back from Iraq in our last tour back in 2009, um, we needed a little bit of a change, and they, First Sergeant Eric Johnson came in and uh, was quite a, brush of, or a breath of fresh air to the, the unit um, and spent a lot of time ensuring that we understood that we had to look at the troops i mean it's, it's always mission first but at the same time you've got to look at the welfare of the troops in order to make sure that they're healthy to continue on and do the job um recently i've got first uh, sergeant major turnage has been has done a big impact he's a very very intelligent guy um uh, that you know thinks along the same lines um what i the, the advice that i give my guys is to to make sure that they're doing the job that they have on their plate I think one of the biggest frustrations I had had in the, the actual National Guard is the <clears throat> the two sides of the fence, AGR versus M-Day, right? We've got this AGR versus M-Day thing, and I think a lot of times we end up putting some of the M-Day responsibilities on our AGR folks, and then the AGR system holds those AGR folks accountable, you know, accountable for the stuff that we felt to do on the M-Day side. Um, and so I've always said, if you were in a platoon sergeant billet, you need to go into your readiness NCO at the end of the drill and say, what are you doing? That's my job. Or if you're in a first arm billet, same thing. Go talk to your readiness NCO. What are you doing? That's my job. Because accountability, right? That's not the, the readiness NCO's job. It's a, it's a first arm, it's a first arm uh, job. Um, 4100s, right? It's not, a, it's not, a, NCO, it's not a, a readiness NCO job. It's a leadership job that we need to get done. And then the readiness NCO is basically the the um the point or the person that processes that paperwork through the system if we can look at it from that aspect we look at it from our soldiers first taking it from the leadership uh, the leadership perspective that yes we're m day and we go we go home during the month but we focus on making sure that we set our soldiers up for success that's that's half the battle the other half the battle is making sure that we're aware of their concerns and the problems that they're having and then you know take the appropriate action and, and be very receptive and listen um it's not always going to go the way the soldier wants right but 
being able to listen and then um, articulate uh, valid courses of action is very important. Initially, for uh, NCOs, I would say Sergeant First Class Willie Daniels kept me in the National Guard because I was trying to go active duty. Uh, Heidi Smith and Joe Luna, both E5s at the time, were my first mentors, and Sergeant First Class McGetrick. And then I led from there to Sergeant First Class David Snell, um, Sergeant Major Parker, Sergeant Major Ecclestone, and there are several. Elisa Ramirez was one of the biggest ones because she did my first NCOER counseling. And I'd been an NCO for a couple of years before I'd ever actually been sat down and counseled and walked through the whole process. But there's been, beyond that, several NCOs that would fill up too much time. <laughs> I think um, the Sergeant Major Blackman that I mentioned in uh, from Germany was a great influence on me. Um, I had a first sergeant in Kentucky that was a fantastic leader, um, First Sergeant Bryant. When I joined the National Guard, it was interesting because I had a lot of exposure to quality leadership that I wasn't expecting. Um, because back in the 80s when I was in, in the Army, there was this, this perception of the National Guard that was just different than what reality was. Um, I had uh, First Sergeant Denny, who was a, a fabulous leader. Um, Master Sergeant Lancaster was the, the, my, my first real exposure. Um, Master Sergeant Heiserman, um, all quality NCOs, great leaders. Um, and then I, I spent a lot of time with peers. Uh, I learned so much more from peers and subordinates than I did, um, than I probably would have learned had I not taken on um, expanding roles, right? And as your span of influence grows, your education, your you know, you've got to be smarter. You've got to be wiser because you understand the impact to your influence. Um, and and the negative impact if you don't take advantage of the opportunity to influence subordinates. So um, a lot of really good leaders in my career um, that have influenced me, including Sergeant Major Parker, Sergeant Major Jay, I got Sergeant Major Barr, um, Sergeant Major Smith, who was the one who selected me to be a, a Sergeant Major. Um, all fabulous leaders. Um, and I think the Guard has a, has a great complement of really talented leaders and and I didn't I'm not separating traditional versus AGR or any of those things because we are a part we are the whole is equal parts of all of those folks um, and, and we're not going to be who we are as an organization without all of them so yeah I mean I'm not in the guard but I've been out to a lot of the exercises and the different units as part of my job and I haven't met a bad NCO yet so that's really exciting yeah um, I guess as we're starting to finish up, sort of, since Sergeant Major Ecclestone has other things to do, um, what what do you hope is your impact on your subordinates? What are you hoping that your and your leaders even? Because I know that I've, like Joe said, I've gotten so much from all of the NCOs that I've worked with, like probably more than I've gotten even from my officer leadership counterparts just because of the nature of the work and um what are you hoping that you're you're giving back to your subordinates and your leaders when you're when you're out there with the troops i think the biggest thing is just to to be able to 
look back and say I've set the example and that those soldiers and other leaders have been able to look at me as somebody that um, they can see as a positive example rather than a negative one. I want to set more. Yes, I'd like to do that than, you know, the, uh, no, let's never do this again. Um, <clears throat> that and then just uh, continue to educate people that, yes, we're all soldiers, but everybody's different. Um, and the best way, I think, to go around getting the job done and, and leading people forward is to find out what incentivizes people to move forward. The more we can, like I said, it's, 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 it goes on a bandwidth of, of knowing your soldiers. If you know your soldiers, you can identify what incentivizes them to do things that they normally wouldn't do. Um, and uh, if we can, if I can do that, then, you know, like I said, it's a positive example. And hopefully somebody later on down the road says, hey, it was uh, Sergeant Major Gibbons that influenced my decision to stay in the Guard. Uh, empowerment, uh, the feeling of responsibility, loyalty, and integrity. So that way they have those values to live up to a future progressive career and will continue to take care of those beneath them. So for me, it's always for I think what I want to do is inspire people to be better so they can achieve what they may not even realize that they can achieve while simultaneously not sacrificing standard. Right. So we all have a, an ethic about us. Um, and when we pass by someone or a soldier or an officer or another NCO that's doing something that's counter to our standard, we've got to take the opportunity to fix it. Um, so inspire people to be experts at what they do. We've got to understand our role as NCOs. We are responsible for training. That's the number one thing, right? We're responsible for training. We're also responsible for maintaining good order and discipline and standards. And we can't sacrifice that. So we have to be inspirational. We have to maintain standard, good order and discipline. We also have to be compassionate and approachable. And if, if we can do those things, then our soldiers will bring their problems or challenges to us. We as professionals will communicate why we do it this way. And we'll at least be open-minded enough to listen to what the soldier's perspective is. Um, if we do those things, then you're going to be that guy. You're going to be that that person who first Sergeant Potter comes in and says, this was a person who inspired me um, to be a better leader. For sure. And I think a lot of the time, because of the reserve component, right, when we don't see each other every day and, and everything, that it's even more important to have that connection with your subordinates so that they're willing and able to talk to you about what issues are keeping them from being the best version of themselves. So I have one kind of like question for everyone and you got to kind of dig down deep maybe, but think back to specialist Ecclestone or specialist Potter or specialist Gibbons. What is the one thing you would say today to that person and remember how your career kind of went? What's the one thing you would say to them and be like, you're going to make it, you're going to get to where you want to achieve your goals. But what's the one thing you would tell them right now if you could? I'd probably tell myself to calm down a little bit, <laughs> to be quite honest. I, I had a, a mouth that wrote checks that I probably couldn't cash. Um, I was very fiery uh, when I was younger. And it, it, it was positive in some ways, but in, in other ways it was very negative. 
Um, and I think that would be the advice that I give is just to, you know, calm down, take a deep breath and then look for the uh, realistic route rather than complaining about how it can't be done. I would encourage myself. You'll get there. It's all going to work out. It always works out in the end. I would also encourage, um, my husband has always told me words mean things. And there have been several times where I have gone off on a tangent because I believe I'm right. And thankfully being married has taught me to bite my tongue before I say things and say it in my head first before it comes all the way out. I think if I would have learned that earlier in my career, it would have progressed a little better. Uh, I would say to myself, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Um, because the fear of making a mistake has kept me from doing things that I would um, that I would have done that would have been beneficial. Um, obviously, there's a time and a place where the risk is greater or lesser. Um, but to explore things that are, you know, if we're willing to listen to soldiers and their ideas as young soldiers, we've got to be willing to present them. And that's how we affect change. Um, and I think had I been less afraid to make mistakes as a young soldier, um, my opportunity to influence would have been greater. I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Jared Potter because uh, you know he's listening to this right now because we'll tell him to. <laughs> he's, he's with the 303rd currently, right? Yep. Yeah. So. Give me the microphone. We, we now have to say whatever our last words are so that we can get Sergeant Major Eric Stone to his meeting on time. So if you have anything else you would like to add, anyone? I think honestly, when you, you know, when you put in a, when you put in promotion paperwork and you, you accept. Make sure your packet is correct. Well, Isn't sure that the biggest correct. hampering <laughs> to getting promoted? It's one of the biggest <laughs> hamperings. I think um, the, the first step is knowing the process of how that works. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen on its own. It, you have to, um, as a leader, you have to step down and help develop those folks and let them right. understand or help them understand how that system works. But when you are promoted and you get promoted to E5 or E6 or E7, just be aware that you're accepting the responsibilities. Nobody's making you become promoted. Right. Nobody's making you be, you know, take E5 or E6 or E7 or E8 or E9. You're accepting the responsibilities in total of what that is going to ma demand in your career. And so just make sure that you're prepared for it. Right. Um, not only take the time to take care of all your soldiers, both top and down, because officers a lot of times need to be coddled. Um, we need help. Agreed. <laughs> we, know we know we need help. <laughs> but also still achieve your own success. Give yourself goals, create your own boundaries to be able to step up and do things outside your comfort zone. There's a lot of additional duties out there that we all have from CAO, sexual assault, EO, that are all highly important. And being able to get out of your comfort zone and do those, you are become more well-rounded as a soldier. Awesome. Um, continue to seek ways to become more of an expert. Um, just about the time you think you know it all, you, someone will point out the fact that you don't. Um, and this, the, the landscape is constantly changing. So um, do everything you can every day to be a little bit better. And then um, always, always treat everyone else with dignity and respect. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. 
this has been really great. Thank you for the opportunity.